John chapter 13, and it's a lengthy reading, but I'm going to be doing a lot of standing tonight. Well, I tell you what, I don't know if I will or not. I think I'm going to get him to bring me that chair. I felt pretty good this afternoon, and then as the evening progressed, uh, I'm not feeling as well as I did, but the Lord's going to help me. But I, I think you figured out I can still teach when I'm sitting down. I've had to do it. I can, I can do it. The Lord will help me. John chapter 13, we'll begin with verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them, Unto the end, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I doeth, what I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Well, it sounds to me like this is pretty important. Sounds to me like Jesus made this necessary. Verse 9, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Lord, if it's that important, then just give me a bath. In other words, Peter said, whatever it takes, I'm going to make it. Whatever I've got to do, I'm going to do it. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, 
happy are ye if you do them. Amen. And so tonight, tonight we're going to talk about foot washing. And um, I know and realize, and I'll say more about this in a moment, that when it happened that night, they did what we now call the Lord's Supper before they washed feet. But Jesus didn't specify an order that these things had to be done. He just said they had to be done. And there's a reason why I'm reversing the order, and I'll explain that reason in a little while. But I just wanted to point that out to you, that it was when supper was finished. He rose from supper and did this. And we're going to talk about that supper after a while. We're going to teach on foot washing first, and then we're going to observe that, and then I'll come back and teach on communion when that's over. And this has been the order that I've done it in for many, many, many years, and um, probably as long as I've been pastoring. This is just the way that I've done it because I feel like there's something that is accomplished in foot washing that helps prepare us for the time of communion. So I'll explain that in a few moments. Right now, why don't we put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices, and let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost here tonight. I need His touch. Let's everybody talk to the Lord together right now. In Jesus' name, let's worship Him right now. Let's worship Him right now. Everybody, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. I love you, God. I love you, God. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. I want to say first and foremost tonight, when Jesus did what he did, he knew exactly who he was. Jesus was not in the middle of an identity crisis when he washed the feet of his disciples. The Bible tells us this in John chapter 13 and verse 3, we read it in our text, but Let's read it again, John 13 and verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father... Jesus, now look at this. Jesus knowing that the Father... Had given all things into had his hands. given all things into his hands. And that he was, that come, he from was God come from God. And went to God. And went to God. Now this is not a problem for one God apostolics. If you've got a revelation of the oneness, this is not a problem. Right. 
This is not one person who was sent from another person and returning to another. That's not what's going on here. We're talking about the humanity of Christ. He recognized in his humanity who he was. And he recognized what was ultimately about to happen. In fact, it was on this very night that he was betrayed. And he would, within a few short hours, be hanging on a cross. His earthly ministry was coming to a close. And then 40 days after his resurrection, he would ascend into heaven. He knew that. He understood full well who he was. And we know who he was. Revelation 19.16 says this about him. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. A name written. And what is that name? King of kings. King of kings. And Lord of lords. And Lord of lords. That's who he was. That's who he is. Somebody help me here tonight. Amen. We're talking about the king over all kings and the Lord over all lords. And yet though he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he was performing the job of a lowly servant. Praise God. That's what a servant did. It was the custom in that day that when you had guests in your house, your servants would meet them, would loose their sandals, and wash their feet. Well, you see, wherever they'd gone, they weren't, they weren't traveling in in uh, closed shoes, walking on sidewalks. Now sometimes they had cobblestone streets, but a lot of times they were walking dirt paths. And their, free, their feet grew, uh, got dirty, and perhaps even muddy. Now Jesus didn't give them a heads up. That when we get to the upper room, I'm going to wash your feet. So they didn't have time to trim their nails. Spray some perfume in their shoes. When they got there, their feet were dirty. And yet the king of kings bowed before them. And washed their dirty feet. Now let me tell you what Paul said to us. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 7. Listen to this. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God. Though he was in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Right. But made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. And took upon him. And took upon him. The form of a servant. The form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. Do you understand that Paul said let this mind be in you. Right. 
that Christ did not regard who he was. Instead, he took the form of a servant. I'm submitting to you tonight that it doesn't matter who you are or who you think you are. That mind is supposed to be in us. If the king of kings could wash somebody's feet, who do we think we are that we're too good to do what the master did? By doing what he did, he proved, he proved what he stated in Mark 10 and 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. I didn't come to be ministered unto. But to minister. I came to minister. And to give his life a ransom for many. Now the easy to read version says it this way. Follow my example. Even the Son of Man did not come for people to serve him. He came to serve others. And to give his life to save many people. Did you get that? Yes, sir. Follow my example. What example, Lord? The example that I didn't come so people could serve me. I came to serve others. Yes, sir. That's the example we need to set. And he lived that example. I'm telling you the overarching principle of his life can very simply be stated like this. Servitude is greater than rulership. Servitude is greater than rulership. Here's what he said in Mark 10 and 44. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest. Will be the chiefest. Shall be servant of all. Now listen, the Amplified reads this way. Whosoever of you will be most important Uh and first in rank. The literal Greek is best or foremost. And he said, whoever really wants to be the best or the foremost among you, let me tell you how to do it. He said, be the servant. And the Greek word there is doulos. It means slave. Be a slave to others. Well, it's quiet tonight. I don't really expect you to run the aisles too much. But I do hope you're listening tonight. I hope you're paying attention to what I'm telling you. This was the attitude and the spirit of Christ. This is the way Christ chose to live. And he did it to set an example for us. Amen. In fact, his whole life was an example for us. I'm afraid sometimes we as one God apostolics focus only on his deity. And we forget about his humanity. Amen. But the real mystery of the Godhead is that dual nature. The wonder of the Godhead is that dual nature. The fact that he was 100% God, but also 100% man. 
And when he lived this life, he didn't live this life as God. He lived it as man to show us how we ought to live. Praise God. And so tonight I submit to you that this practice of washing the feet of others is something we ought to continue. And as long as I remain pastor, we will continue. Well, praise God. And here's some reasons why. First of all, it's a matter of humility. If the king of kings can wash feet, so can we. John 13, verses 13 and 14, read. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your if Lord I and master, am your Lord and master, have washed your feet, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. If I can do it, you ought to do it. Yes. Right. Yes. Well, right. praise God. The Bible has a lot to say about Amen. the need for humility and the dangers of pride. And I'm going to tell you, this is one thing that just doesn't get preached a whole lot. I go to a lot of, of conservative meetings and conferences, and I thank God for everyone, and I thank God for every message. But I'm going to tell you, I don't hear a whole lot of preaching against pride. And that's the sad truth. We don't hear a lot of preaching against pride. We hear a lot of preaching about a whole lot of things. But we don't hear much preaching about the dangers of pride. But tonight you're going to hear some. The wisest man in the Old Testament spoke about the need for humility and the dangers of pride. Listen to Proverbs 22 and verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. By humility. Everyone say humility. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 16 verse 18. I think most of us know this, but let's read it. Pride goeth before Pride destruction. Pride goes before destruction. And in haughty spirit and before a haughty a fall. spirit before a fall. You know, it's awful hard to be proud when you've got somebody's feet in your hands and you're washing them. This helps us to be saved, saints of God, because it gets the pride out of us. James, who pastored a multi-thousand member church in Jerusalem, discussed the need for humility. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth God, the proud. Listen to this. God resists the proud. Huh? It means he pushes against them. When there's pride in our hearts, God pushes against us. Right. You ever try to shake somebody's hand and they stiff-armed you? You ever try to hug somebody's neck and they're, they don't want to hug? 
It's obvious they got something in their heart against you. and they, they're, they're trying to push you away. Anybody ever been there? Yes, sir. You know, that's exactly the terminology that's used here. That's exactly what James is describing. We reach out to give God a hug, and God pushes us away when there is pride in our lives. James chapter 4 verse 10 says this. Humble yourselves in the sight of the if Lord. If you'll humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, then, he shall lift then you up. God will lift you up. Praise God. The man who held the keys of the kingdom, the apostle Peter, also addressed the subject of humility. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 5 and 6. Likewise, ye younger Submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not read this too quickly. All of you be subject one to another. This is the way we ought to see our brothers and sisters. So many times we're so determined that we're right. We let some attitude get a hold of us. But Peter said, submit yourselves to one another. Now, now look, I could, I could preach tonight. Here at this church, I could preach about submission to pastoral authority and, and, and many of you would be on your feet. But there is another level of submission. And that's learning to submit to one another. Well, submit, be subject, he said, one to another. And what? And be clothed with humility. Can I tell you the reason why we don't submit to one another? It's very simple. It's pride. It's pride. That's what keeps us from doing it. End of discussion. And then he goes on to say, For God resisteth the proud. The same thing James said. God resists the proud. And giveth grace to the and humble. And he gives grace to the humble. Isn't this amazing? James and Peter said the exact same thing. Read. Humble yourselves, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of under God. Under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you that in he due time. May exalt you in due time. That's what tonight is all about. It's about humbling ourselves. I would rather God exalt me than for me to exalt myself. Well, praise God. And here's why. The very God of heaven in human form taught about this. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 11, listen to this. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. Whoever exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, the Bible in basic English reads this way. For every man who gives himself a high place 
will be put down. But he who takes a low place will be lifted up. The word abased, it should be noted, is literally humbled. So really what, what Jesus said is whoever exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So he just, just did the reverse. But this word, I, I, I found, it can also, this word um, abased can also be translated humiliated. Whoever exalts himself shall be humiliated. As it's used in this verse, it means to, and this is what it literally means in this verse, to bring down one's pride. All right. Whoever exalts himself, God's going to bring his pride down. And listen, nobody can do it like Jesus can. He can humble us like nobody can humble us. He can pull the rug right out from under us. Yes, he can. In fact, he can give the donkey a voice if he needs to. He can let a donkey teach us some things if that's what it takes. He can blind us if he has to. Saul of Tarsus leading others around. Persecuting the church. But by the time God got through dealing with him, he was having to be led. Because God blinded him. And when God got through with him, he was saying, Lord, just tell me what to do. Here was the great Saul of Tarsus, known and feared throughout the land, going to an unknown preacher and saying, would you baptize me? Would you pray for me? God sure changed his outlook. And he can change ours. Yes. Yes, but whoever will humble themselves, the Bible says he shall be exalted. And that word can be translated elevated. God will lift him up. All right. All right. If you'll pull yourself down, God will lift you up. Yes. So the first reason why we continue this practice is because it is a matter of humility. Second... It is a matter of unity. All right. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Listen to this. A new commandment I give unto you. Now, this is on the night when he has washed their feet. He says, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another. That you love one another. As I have loved you. As I have loved you. That you also love one that another. That you also love one another. By this shall all By men this know, shall all men know that ye are my disciples. That you're my disciples. If ye have love one to another. At church, you know I believe in, in holiness. You know I believe in separation. Right. 
But Jesus didn't say, by your separation shall all men know. Because if we want to just talk about separation, then let's look at the Amish or the Mennonites. But he didn't say that. He said the way this world is going to know is by the love that you have, not one for another, but one to another. That's active. Having love for somebody can be passive. Right? When you were young, you ever have a crush on somebody? You didn't even tell them? Never showed them? Maybe some of you are there right now. You can have love for somebody and it be passive. But he said to have love to one another. That's active. You've got to show it. You've got to do something about it. Do you know, and, and this is interesting because here's another scripture, Brother Mays, I, I just don't hear a lot of oneness people use. And yet it's scripture. But John chapter 17, verse 21, which is also the same night. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. It's all the same night. Here's what he said, John 17, 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, are in me, and I in thee. That they, that they, that they also may be one in us. Uh-huh that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, now here's what he's praying. He wants us to be as much one as he and the Father. Now, to a Trinitarian, that's not so difficult. Because they're, they're one in purpose, they're one in function, but they're still separate. But Jesus didn't want there to be any separation between his people. He wants us to be truly one. We ought to function as one. We ought to think as one. We ought to behave as one. We ought to worship as one. Can I tell you, it's hard. To have, and to have aught against your brother or your sister if they are kneeling at your feet washing your feet or you're washing theirs. David was called a man after God's own heart and he addressed this subject of unity. Psalm 133 verse 1. Behold how good how and how good pleasant and how pleasant it is it for is. brethren to dwell together in unity. Listen to me church, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but I've stressed this before. I'm telling you, the devil understands the power of unity more than we understand. This is not in my notes. This is not in my notes, but Brother, Brother Hilton, go over to Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to throw this in here tonight. This is not in my notes, but, but I, I, want to, I, I want to say this tonight. Genesis chapter number 11. 
The Bible tells an amazing story about a group of people. They were not right with God. They weren't trying to do something that God was in favor of. They were trying to build a tower that reached to heaven. Now, I don't know exactly why they were building this tower. There are some scholars that say that they were doing this to put an idol at the top. This was kind of common in ancient Mesopotamia. In fact, you can find many of these. They call them ziggurats, towers that are still standing today, that were built um, in ancient days. And, in fact, there's one that stands out among the rest that they think may very well be the Tower of Babel. But many of these they created as a place of idolatry. And so there are scholars that think that's what they were doing. There are others that because they said they wanted this tower to reach to heaven, there are others who say that perhaps... What they were doing, you know, this is not long after the flood. And so there are scholars who believe that these men thought they could build a tower high enough that if God did flood the earth again, they could climb to the top of the tower and be safe. Which is kind of foolish if you ask me because even the mountains were covered. And I don't think they were going to build a tower higher than the mountains. But perhaps that's what they had. Whatever it was, God was not pleased with what they were doing. But listen to what the Lord said. Verse number 6, read. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Listen to what God said. God said, this people is one. And whatever they imagine, they will accomplish. Why? Because they're one. Because they are unified. And when people are unified, they were fighting against God. Whatever they were doing, God wasn't pleased with it. But God said as long as they stay unified, they're going to accomplish their goal. Amen. Yes, sir. Now church, if a group of people that are fighting against God cannot be stopped as long as they're unified, what happens when the people of God who are working for God get unified? Can I tell you that whatever we set our mind to do in 2024, if we really come together as one, it will be accomplished. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. I believe it. I believe it. Right. Nothing's going to stop us now. Yes. If we're unified. Right. And God said, Whatever they plan to do, they're going to accomplish. There's only one way to stop them. And so what did he do? Verse 7, read. Oh, 
you didn't know you're reading anymore out of that chapter, did you? Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language. Let's that, confound their language. That they may not understand one another's uh -huh. speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from he thence. Scattered them abroad from thence. Upon the face of all the earth. And they left, they left off to build the city. And so here, God said, as long as they're unified, nothing's going to stop them. Right. The only way to stop them is to divide them. Church, I believe at that moment, the devil took note. And the devil learned a lesson that day that the only thing that's going to stop people is disunity. Division. If he can divide us, he wins. Well, hallelujah. But if we'll come together and we'll truly be one, when was it that the Holy Ghost was poured out? I know the day of Pentecost was fully come, but there was something else going on. They all had one mind. Right? They were all with one accord in one place. They weren't scattered physically or mentally. And it was at that moment. Now listen, listen. During that time, those seven to ten days that they're in the upper room praying, I can promise you there were moments they were not in one accord. You know how I know that? Because they were having a business meeting. And they had to resort to casting lots. So obviously, there was more than one person being suggested. And they were not with one accord. Now, they're there for seven to ten days. Let's just be honest. At some point, they had to go sleep. At some point, they had to slip out to the restroom. They had to go eat. Most likely, I mean, the Bible doesn't say they were fasting. I think the Bible would have told us if they were there fasting during that time. But when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there was a moment when their minds came together. And now we're not having a business meeting. And now we're not going for a lunch break. And now we're not leaving to go to the restroom. Right now, we're all going to pray together. And when they came into a state of being in one accord, then suddenly there came a sound from heaven like as of a rushing mighty wind. And I'm going to tell you, church, that's the only thing that stands between us and an outpouring of God's Spirit. We've got to come together and get in one accord. Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. 
We have got to reach a place where we lay aside our own agendas, right. lay aside our own plans, lay aside everything else. We don't come in. We're not worried about work. We're not worried about sickness. We're not worried about anything else. We are coming in with one thought in mind. We're going to have a move of God tonight. And when we truly become one, the Spirit of God will descend upon us. Yes. God will show us His glory Amen. when we truly become one. And that's one of the things that foot washing helps to accomplish. It unifies the church. That's why I said we're going to do it again sometime when everybody's here. Because we need all of the church present. I understand getting away. I understand. I'm not trying to speak ill of anybody tonight. I'm just explaining this is an important time. Yes, sir. And this is my fault for thinking we could do it on a holiday weekend. I should have known better. There used to be a time, Brother Hall, when everybody was home for New Year's Eve. It just It's the way it was. There, there was a time at the Truth Church when this weekend everybody just stayed home. But things are different now. And folks are scattered. And I understand and I'm not belittling them or berating them. But I'm just saying, this is a crucial time for the church. And we need this time to come together. And so we'll do it again. And give everybody the opportunity to participate. Well, praise God. And if it doesn't look like it'll work on a, on a Saturday, we'll take another Sunday night. And we'll do foot washing one night and take another Sunday night and do communion. But I want the whole church to be able to participate one way or the other. It's that important. Well, praise God. Amen, amen, amen. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, reached more of the then known world than any of his contemporaries. Had a whole lot to say about this subject of unity. Let me give you just, just um, a couple of examples here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. Do you think that maybe, maybe Paul had the Tower of Babel in mind? I mean, he was an Old Testament scholar. All right. And I think that he was, he was making reference here when he said, I, I, I'm begging you, my brothers. I'm begging you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing. I, I, I've been dealing with the I'm, I, I know, I know. I'm, I'm allowing myself to chase a whole lot of foxes here tonight. But I, I've been trying to help a pastor who's, who's dealing with a situation right now. He's, he's got a number of folks in his church well, not a huge number, but he's got some folks in his church who are very anti-Christmas. And, and he feels the same way I do. That celebrating the Lord's birth is an important thing. And he celebrates it, but he's got, he's got some folks in his church that are creating huge problems. 
because they they even showed up for a service and felt like it was too much Christmas in that service. And got up and walked out and and made comments to other saints and tell other saints. I've I've actually pastored people in the past that come December they had flyers made up they'd hand out to the church to try to convince them that Christmas was a pagan time. Now, now listen, if you believe that, that's between you and God. But don't spread it to others because you're creating disunity in the body. And everybody needs to speak the same thing. Well, hallelujah. We, we didn't finish that verse, did we? He said that you all speak the same thing. This is 1 Corinthians 1.10. That you all speak the same thing. And, and that there be no divisions among you. That there be no divisions among you. But that you be perfectly joined together. But that you be perfectly joined together. In the same in mind. In the same mind. And in the same judgment. And in the same judgment. Wow. That's the way it ought to be. Now, you talk about a church that needed to hear it. You read here in 1 Corinthians. In these first three chapters, he's going over and over the fact that you've got some that say, well, I'm of Apollos. And some say, I'm of Paul. And some say, I'm of Cephas. And some say, well, I don't have a pastor. I just let the Spirit lead me. And, and, and Paul says, this, this is wrong. This is just wrong. I was talking to a man the other day. They've, they've gone through a transition. In fact, it's been several years ago. And, and there's a new pastor there. And, and the, the outgoing pastor brought him in, put his approval on him and his blessing on him. And the man's treated the outgoing pastor right. And, and yet this, this man was telling me, he's a preacher in that church, and he was telling me, he said, there are some that come to me and say, brother, so-and-so will always be my pastor. I said, well, that's nothing. When I came here, brother Hilton, brother L.D. Hilton had passed away. And I had people come to me and say, L.D. Hilton will always be my pastor. And I mean, I, I wouldn't, I didn't say it out loud, but in my mind, I wanted to say, well, I hope you get some good counseling out of the graveyard because <laughs> if, if he's your pastor, that's who you're going to have to talk to. Exactly. He's the one who's going to have to pray for you now when you get sick, so good luck with that. And, and I know what they meant, and I, I, didn't, I didn't say it to them because I wanted them to honor him. I, I wanted them. To honor him. And I knew it was going to take some time to win their confidence. I, I knew that. I understood that. But I'm just telling you, you can't have this attitude that somebody else is my pastor when you're sitting in a church under a pastor. Yes. Either that man's your pastor or you need to go sit under somebody who can be. Right, right, right. It's just the way it is. Because we've all got to speak the same thing. Yes. 
And, and as saints, whatever the pastor teaches, that's the way you ought to believe it. Right. It's the way you ought to see it. And if you don't, you ought to pray that God would help you to see it. Don't hold on to your own views, to the disunity of the body. Paul wrote a lot about it. He said, he said, you need to be perfectly joined in the same mind, in the same judgment. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, let's find some unity among one another. Hebrews 12, 14. I've got to hurry tonight. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall now, see the Lord. A lot of Lord. times we hear this, without holiness no man shall see the Lord, but we forget about the first part of that verse. He said, follow peace with all men and holiness. Our holiness is not doing us any good if we're not following peace. And I've seen this among church folks, that somebody's got a standard that's stricter than what's preached, and they want to put that on everybody in the congregation. Or... Somebody in the church has got a standard that's less than what's preached. And they want to try to help everybody find liberty, quote unquote. Look, let's, 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 your holiness is meaningless if you're not trying to follow peace. And you're certainly not following peace by stirring up divisions and strife. Now, now, look, you can ask anybody that's ever come to me and said, you know, I just don't feel good about doing this. I've told them don't ever violate your conscience. Don't go against your conscience. If your conscience smites you for doing that, then don't do it. But don't put it on somebody else. Live your convictions. Live them to the fullest. If they're stronger than what's preached. If they're not as strong, live up to what's preached. Don't create disunity among the body. So it's a matter. It's a matter of humility. It's a matter of unity. We also do this because it is a matter of obedience, pure and simple. John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Read. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet... Ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. I've given you an example that you should do what I've done to you. Now that's what he said. We are supposed to do it because he did it as an example. He didn't need to do it. It wasn't to help him become humble. It wasn't to help him become more unified. Just like being baptized wasn't to remit his sins. He did these things as an example. He's not asking us to do something that he was not willing to do. And so all of these things that he did, he did it because we need to do it. And he showed us how. Didn't just tell us how. He showed us how. 
pay attention to what he said. John 13, verse 10. All of this comes from John 13. If you if you closed your Bible, you ought to have it open there. That's where we're coming from. Uh, we're using some other scriptures, but really the, the setting is John 13. Read verse 10 for us. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. Now, now look, he said, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. This word needeth is what I want you to focus on. So another way to say this, he's, he's given us the negative, but when we turn this to the positive, he's saying what you do need to do is you do need to wash your feet. Because remember, this was after Peter said, well, wash my head and my hands also. And Jesus said, no, no, we don't have to do that. But there is something we need to do. And that's wash your feet. It needs to be done. Everyone say, it needs to be done. It needs to be done. That's what Jesus said. It needs to be done. Yes. Let me show you what else he said. Verse 14. If I then, your, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's you feet. You ought to wash one another's feet. Everyone say it ought to be done. That's what he said. You ought to do it. And the word ought in the original literally means you are under obligation to do it. But it doesn't get any plainer than that. You have an obligation to do what Jesus did. How in the world do people get around this? How do they teach we don't have to do it? When he, Jesus said you've got an obligation to do it. Right. So it needs to be done. It ought to be done. In fact, another translation puts it this way. You must wash each other's feet. You must. John 13 verse 17. Look at this. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Now, now he said... He said, it needs to be done. He said, it ought to be done. And now he says, you'll be happy if it is done. Now, I like this. You'll be happy. Happy are ye if you do them. The Jubilee Bible says, if you know these things, you shall be blessed if you do them. The easy to read version puts it this way, and I really like this. If you know these things, great blessings will be yours if you do them. In fact, I had put it in my notes some time back and then failed to, to mark the reference, but somewhere I saw where that's what this word means. It means mightily blessed. You're going to be blessed... If you'll do what Jesus told you to do. Do you know the Apostle Paul made this a requirement? If the church was going to support a widow. Now, you know, I don't, I don't really have time to get into all of that. Uh, but under, you know, under, under the, the old Roman law, widows had, no, had nothing to help them. They didn't, they didn't receive Social Security. They didn't receive, there was no help for them whatsoever. And the church took it on themselves that if a woman's husband died, under certain conditions, the church would help take care of her. Now, there were conditions that had to be met. And, and here Paul lists what those conditions are, 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10. Let not a widow be taken in, in the number 
under three score years old, having been the wife of one man. So first of all, she had to be at least 60 years old. So if she was less than 60, Paul says she's probably going to go get married again, and her husband can take care of her. So if the church is going to take care of her, she's got to at least be 60 years old. And then she needs to have just been the wife of one man. So she's had three husbands die. She's, she's been taken care of well enough, I guess. I don't know. Probably starting to wonder what she's putting in his food. Verse 10. Well, report, well reported of for good works. She needs to be well reported of for good works. She doesn't need to be out gossiping and creating problems in the church. And well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children. She's brought up children. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily say she had to have had the children herself, but she's helped in the process of raising children. Read. If she have lodged strangers. If she has helped others that needed it. If you've seen this example in her own life that she's helping others. In other words, if she's not helping others, why should we be helping her? Mm -hmm. But you've seen her help others. And then what did he say? If she have washed the saints' feet. Well, Paul said, if we're going to take care of this woman, we got to know. She has participated in this practice. If she's not willing to wash the saints' feet, we're not helping her. That's what Paul said. This is the inspired word of God. If she have washed the saints' feet. Read. If she have relieved the afflicted. She's relieved the afflicted. If she have diligently followed every good diligently word. followed. Every good work. So, so he starts and ends with good works. That's kind of the key to all of it. But I wanted to point out to you how strongly Paul felt about this practice of, of washing feet. He said, we're not even going to take care of, of a woman that didn't do this. She didn't participate. We're not going to take care of her. Obviously, he didn't really consider her part of the church. Right? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Now, I, I've got to hurry. So, so how should we go about this practice? What, what does the Bible tell us about doing this? Well, let me just say this. We ought to do it exactly as Jesus did. Right. Because he gave us the example. So how did he do it? Well, first of all, he did it without regard to persons. Let's read again. You still got your Bible open? John 13, verses 4 through 6. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, hang on, hang on. He began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, do you see where that apostrophe is? This is plural. We, we know about what Peter said, but it wasn't just Peter. He was washing the feet of all of the disciples. Read. And to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Uh-huh. 
Then cometh he to Simon so Peter. So eventually he gets to Simon Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? So, so I'm telling you, he didn't just wash Simon Peter's feet. But he washed the feet of all of the disciples. Now, I want you to consider something with me. Verses 10 through 11. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not, to, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. He knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, Therefore he said, You are not all clean. You are not all clean. You know what this tells me? He washed the feet of Judas. Knowing Judas would betray him that very night. In fact, Judas would walk out of this meeting and sell him into the hands of the chief priests. And Jesus knew that. Now nobody has done to us what Judas did to Jesus. Nobody's done us that badly. Thank you for the three or four who agree. I know some of us have been done pretty badly, but none of us have been sold to be crucified. And yet Jesus, knowing the suffering, the anguish he was about to endure because of Judas' actions, he knew that, and yet he washed the feet of Judas. Because right. look, this, this is verses 4 through 6 when he's washing the disciples' feet. Skip down to verse 21. This is well after this. Verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And so we are clear down to verse 21 when he finally says, one of you is going to betray me. Jesus knew full well what Judas was about to do just mere moments after this. And yet he washed Judas' dirty feet. In fact, after Judas betrayed him, you remember what Jesus did? Matthew 26, verses 47 to 50. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he that, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, where... Wait, Jesus said unto him, What? Friend. Jesus said unto him, you dirty dog. You low-down scoundrel. I just washed your feet. And this is the way you treat me in return? 
Now, does that sound like us? Unfortunately, yes. it does. You do some kind deed for somebody, and they turn around and stab you in the back? Yeah, you're probably not going to go to them and call them friend. It's, it, it's an amazing thing to me because, you know, a few days earlier he looked at Simon Peter and called him Satan. <laughs> he looked at Peter and said, you devil. But when Judas betrayed him, he said, my friend. It's amazing, isn't it? Of course, there's a message in that. I preached it here many, many years ago. Most of you were not here. Uh, and those who were probably don't remember it. You do? All right. And I preached about why he called Peter Satan and he called Judas friend because what Peter was doing at that time was saying you're not going to go to Calvary I'm not going to let you die and anything that keeps us from the cross is our enemy but what Judas did that night was lead him to the cross and that made him his friend. Those people and those things that drive you from the cross are not your friends. When they try to convince you, you don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to do these things. I don't care who they are. Or how much they say they love you. Or how great of a time you have in their presence. They are not your friend. If they're keeping you from putting your life on the cross. They're your enemy. Well that's another message for another night. But my point is this. Jesus was no respecter of persons. He didn't pick and choose whose feet he would wash that night. He did it for everybody. Now, I'm not saying we got to do it for everybody. But I am telling you, we should not be a respecter of persons. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't respect persons. Romans 2, 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. God doesn't respect persons. James 2 and 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. And we should not have respect of persons. Here's what I'm saying to you, church, and I'm almost done. i got one more passage of Scripture and I'll be done. But here's what I'm saying to you. I've actually seen this. I've, I've been around 50 years. I've, I've been living for God. Soon be 51. Two months. 
February of 24, it'll be 51 years since I received the Holy Ghost. It's a long time. I've seen a lot of things. Can I tell you, I've watched and heard in foot washing services when people predetermine. In fact, I've, I've heard young people getting ready to leave before they're coming back for the foot washing service say, hey, let's, let's get together. I'll, I'll wash your feet and you wash mine. And they got it all pre-planned. We'll do it for my friend. But here's what I'm telling you. Don't go with your mind made up whose feet you're going to wash. Just sit down. And whoever sits across from you, that's your brother or your sister. Now, I will give you one caveat. If you are going to pick somebody, pick the person you least want to do it for. Because this is all about humility. And it's all about unity. And it's all about obedience. And so if you want to pre-pick, then pick the one you don't want to wash their feet. And wash them. And thereby humble yourself. And let God bind your heart together with that individual. So first of all, do it without respect of persons. Secondly, as you do it, do it prayerfully. This is something else that I've witnessed. And, I, and I, it, it bothers me to no end. But I see people who get together and they're laughing. And they're, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a game to them. This shouldn't be a game. This is a spiritual thing. I'm telling you, it, it, at our home church in Dallas, some of the most powerful moves of God we ever had was when we were washing feet. It really was. It was a very spiritual moment. So when you do it, you ought to do it prayerfully. When someone's washing your feet, you ought to put your hand on their back and pray for them. You ought to pray that, that they would be blessed, that God would meet their needs, and that your heart would be knit together in love with theirs. Let me, let me just tell you something. Do you understand that that person who's washing your feet is a child of God? A son or daughter of the King of Kings? You're not worthy. I'm not worthy of having them wash my feet. And we're not worthy of washing their feet. They're the King's kids. Well, hallelujah. And you need to have that mindset. It ought to humble you. Do it prayerfully. Do it in unity. Do it joyfully. Let's read our final passage of Scripture, John chapter 13, verses 6 through 10. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, 
but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Now, let me just tell you why I say we ought to do this joyfully. I want you to look again at what Jesus said. He said, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. Or he doesn't need to be washed any other way except washing his feet. Now, why did he say that? What was he talking about? Well, you know, again, to go back to their times, and this is why so many passages of Scripture are difficult for us to understand because we try to put them in the Western 21st century mindset. We, we don't understand the times and the customs of what was going on. But back then, most of them, most of them didn't have a bath in their house. But there were public baths where they would go and they would there wash their bodies. But, but again, remember, they've got on open sandals. And so when they would leave the public bath, they, they might, you know, it, it, we're going to have supper with a friend. So they'll go by the public bath and they'll clean themselves and they'll make sure that, that everything's clean. And then they walk from the bath to their friend's house. But to do that, they're walking through the dust and the dirt and the grime. And when they get there, their bodies are clean. But their feet are not. And that's why it was customary for the servant to come and wash their feet. That's all they needed was to wash their feet. They didn't need the rest of their body cleansed. Whether they were going to a friend's house or maybe they were just going home after a long day at work. They'd worked hard. They'd worked out in the sun or they'd worked in a carpenter shop. They'd done something that required physical manual labor. They'd be sweaty and hot. Before they would go home, they'd stop by the public bath. And cleanse themselves. But by the time they got home. As they had made their journey. From the bath. To their home. Their feet got dirty. And they needed their feet. To be washed. Can I say this tonight church. As children of God. We've been to the public bath. We've been to the waters of baptism. We had our souls cleansed. Our head, our hands, our body all went under. And everything was washed. But the problem is we're still walking in this old earth. And from the time of our public bath until we finally get home, we're having to walk through some things, Brother Mays. Unfortunately, we're having to tread through some things. We're working with folks that are ungodly. We're spending time with folks that, 
say all kinds of things we wish we didn't have to hear and do all kinds of things we wish we didn't have to see. And as we make this journey from our public bath on our way home, our feet get dirty. But thank God we can have a service like tonight. And Brother Hall, we can wash all that grime off of us. And we can get ourselves all cleaned up again. We don't have to go back to the waters of baptism. We're just going to get our heart cleaned out as we wash one another's feet. And we get our feet washed. We're getting all of that grime off of us again. And we're getting ourselves cleaned up and ready to walk through the doors of our eternal home. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, church, that's the reason why when we get ready to take communion, we want our hearts to be right before we take communion. And that's part of what foot washing does. Now, Jesus didn't need any of that. So he could do the supper first. But we need it. Because we've got things that are clinging to us. We can't help it. It's just a part of life. But thank God we can have a foot washing service. Thank God we can come together and get that grime off of us. Our hearts are still clean. Our spirits are still clean. But, but we're just washing all of that extra off. And then we get ready to take communion in a little while. And our hearts will be pure. And everything will be right. And we'll be ready. We'll be ready for a beautiful experience. Enjoying communion in the presence of the Lord. Praise God. Let's lift our hands. Let's love the Lord together right now. Can we, everybody? Let's talk to Him right now. Let's talk to Him right now. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Praise God. I love you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to we're going to ask the ladies to go downstairs at this time. And uh, they're going to be uh, participating in this downstairs. And uh, we've got to have a couple men go down and get the basins for us. Bring them up. And the men will be here in the sanctuary. If we could get some of the men to move the the altars over closer, then we'll we'll take these front pews and then move the altars up and, and uh, um, set opposite one another that way here in the sanctuary. Amen. Praise God. So, um, if we could at this time, ladies, you can be dismissed to go downstairs. Once you're done, we'll come back up. I'm going to teach on communion then. We'll be taking communion before the service is over tonight and so uh, let's let's go let's go prayerfully and let's remain in a prayerful state of mind together everyone praise God hallelujah